Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Are you listening? Damn. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado here on this Sunday evening, a day after Oregon State defeats Arizona State 31-7 in the desert, closing out the road slate of the 2022 season. Angie and I are going to recap that here today and briefly look ahead to Saturday's showdown in Corvallis between a pair of bitter in-state rivals, the Beavers and Ducks, getting ready to to do battle at Reeser in six days from now. But first order of business is to recap Oregon State's win at ASU, like I said, closing out the road slate on a high note and pushing the Beavers further up the top 25 as they get ready to close out the regular season. We're going to talk about the impact of that win at Sundle Stadium, talk about the cost, the injuries uh, that has continued to be somewhat of a key storyline for this Oregon State football team down the home stretch. Then we'll go through all the stats, big plays of the game, what went well for Oregon State, what didn't, and then we're going to revisit our keys to the game as we always do. Angie, 24 hours after the uh, the eighth win of this Oregon state football season and only the second win at Sun Devil stadium for the Beavers in the last 50 years. That's crazy. How are you feeling? I, yeah, first of all, that was pretty sweet. I mean, the early game was nice. I got to watch a lot of other football. I watched the USC, UCLA, watched the ducks and Utah. Um, So kind of a nice chill day, but um, I did not realize that, that it was, I mean, I did, but I guess I kind of spaced it and heard it again. That's wild, wild, wild. But what a game. Um, aside from a little kind of lull there in the second quarter, the Beavs pretty much dominated. Yeah, it's the first win in Tempe since 2009. Uh, so obviously the first one for for Jonathan Smith and company. But yeah, it's, it's only the second win in Tempe since 1969, which That's I went crazy. through the, the history, the series history. Uh, this morning, actually, just to kind of get my bearings on how long it had been since the Beavers had won a game there, because I knew that they were few and far between. Um, but yeah, 2009 and 1969, those are the most recent two before this weekend. Crazy. Uh, before we dive too deep into this game, have to give a shout out to our subscribers on YouTube. Thank you 
We made it. 1,000 subscribers. If you're watching us live on the damn podcast, I assume you are subscribed by now. If you're not, go ahead and hit that subscribe button as we work towards 2,000. But we set a goal going into the year to finish the football season at or above 1,000, and we hit it here today on Sunday, November 20th. So thank you to all of the loyal listeners of the damn podcast who watch us live. We really appreciate you getting us to that plateau. I feel like we should be like having some champagne or something, but you know. I knew that. So that's the thing. I knew we were close, but I didn't know if we were going to get there before we hit record. Yeah, I yeah. kind of thought there was, you know, the possibility that we might get there afterwards. Um, but uh, here I'll, I'll, I've yes, got my, my water bottle here. I'll, I'll raise a toast to 1000 subscribers. And thank you. Uh, like Carter on, said, um, on and I just wanted to on, on, on a second note too. I want to thank Carter because all of this YouTube live podcasting has all been his baby. So thank you, Carter. You're getting us. You're, you're moving the needle. Making the, uh, the execs at 24 seven sports happy. I'm sure that's, the, uh, the right. commitment to video this year has been one of our points of emphasis. And uh, again, we, we can't thank you guys enough for, for helping us uh, achieve that, that year long goal. That was one of Beaver Blitz's yeah. 2022 goals was to, to increase our presence on YouTube. So uh, you can find us there if you if you watch the or if you listen to the damn podcast on the podcast side. We really appreciate your support over there too. Of course, that's how this whole thing started. But we do have a lot of fun recording this on the video side as well. Um, and if you're here watching us right now, as as many of you are, go ahead and, and pop something in the chat. And if we have time at the end of the show, we'll we'll answer some questions and uh, we'll hit on some comments throughout the episode as well. But speaking of this game in Tempe. Again, Oregon State's 11th of the regular season. We're we're coming up here on on the final game. It's you know we're we're gearing up for bowl season now. It's um it's it's kind of incredible how quickly things move as the year goes on. I, I will admit I'm kind of ready for a break. Um, this is this is a grind for for people who may not realize uh, on on the back end here how much stuff actually goes into covering a football season. Uh, so that period between. Uh, the regular season finale and and bowl season will come as a, a nice little treat. But for Carter, but for me, then it ramps up for sight with signing day. Um, so then I kind of yeah. take over the the load for a little bit. And okay, I just have to make a point, Carter, because I don't know about your. So I'm like a 47 year old woman here, and my mom is like, "So are you going to be around for Christmas? What are we doing for Christmas?" I'm like, "Mom, I don't know because we have bowl game. It's first time, you know, it's only the second time now in like a decade that we actually have to worry about." bowl games and interfering with Christmas. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of comedy today when my mom called me to ask me about Christmas. Yeah. Last year, of course, that bowl game was on December, what, 16th, 17th, 17th. Yeah. So we were um, home before the the peak of the holiday season. But this year, you know, if, if Oregon state goes to El Paso for the sun bowl, which again, I, I still think is the most likely scenario. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a birthday Ooh. on December 29th. I've got, you know, New Year's Eve on the 31st. I don't really want to, you know, be in El Paso for both of those, but I, I will not complain if it means I'm, I'm working and, and covering a, a bowl game for Oregon State because, of course, over the last decade, those have been few and far between. And I love my job. So there's that. All right. So Oregon State wins 31-7 in the desert. Never really a doubt. Um, particularly in the second half, uh, that's really when Oregon state, uh, kind of rolled in this thing was, was in the third and fourth quarters, but with the win, let's talk about the impact here. 
Yes. Oregon State on Sunday moves up a couple of spots in the AP poll up to number 22. So the Beavers are at their highest point in that poll uh, this season. Of course, this being the first season that the Beavers are ranked since 2013. They're 22 there and they're number 22 in the coaches poll as well this week. And it's actually the first time they've been ranked in the coaches poll this year. Uh, you know, of course, they they went into the Washington game, the Cal game and the uh, or no, excuse me, the, the Washington game and the ASU game yes. in the top 25 in both the AP and college football playoff polls, but had yet to uh, cross that threshold in, in the coaches poll. They had been number 26 and, and number 27 there. So they get up to 22 in the eyes of the select coaches as well. And then the college football playoff rankings will come out Tuesday at 4 p.m. Uh, this time will not be sandwiched between two college basketball games. Thank you, ESPN. Angie, the odds of the Beavers cracking the top 20 there, because the Beavers did, uh, you know, they, they were ranked higher in the in the playoff rankings than in the AP poll. The handful of losses in that 15 to 20 range, I, I feel like the Beavers could be a top 20 team this week. I, I do too. I, I think... I, I was kind of thinking 18 kind of is where I my my kind of my head had landed when I was looking at who lost what um, I think it's huge. And and I think it was also big that the Beavers played early, you know, that 11, yep. 15 kickoff, I think did allow some coaches across the country or, or more people, more voters to see kind of what, what was going on in, in not in Corvallis, but yeah, what, what is going on in Corvallis? Let's not forget, too. I mean, there is it really shouldn't be this way, but there is some influence between the polls. So, you know, for example, these coaches who, to your point, have probably not seen a whole lot of Oregon State this year. Well, they suddenly flip on a a beef game and they see a number next to their name because they're ranked in the playoff rankings. And they're like, oh, wait, I've got to get them on my ballot if the committee thinks that they're ranked. So, you know, one way or another, it was it was bound to happen. But to that end, if Oregon State is in the top 20, which I believe it will be in the CFP rankings, you're going to have a top 20 matchup in Corvallis this weekend at 1230 on ABC. Easily the biggest game Oregon State has played in a decade. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be big. It, it When I saw that 1230 slot, it kind of took me back a long time to the 2000 Civil War mm-hmm. that was played. Joey Harrington, Jonathan Smith, um, that was a 1230 kick with the, the great Keith Jackson on the call. Um, that was a, a big game, and that it, that's what I immediately thought of when I when I saw that twelve thirty kick on ABC. We have had plenty of afternoon kicks in this great series over the years, but not so many recently. With, I mean, this game has been relegated to Pac twelve networks in the last yeah, couple of yeah. years, and so it's great to see it get back into the national uh, national limelight a little bit. Uh, but looking back on uh, win number eight and, yeah. and game eleven. That win, being the eighth, guarantees Oregon State's best season in the five-year Jonathan Smith tenure. It's best since 2012 when the Beavers won nine games. And with that eighth win coming at this point in the season, the third 10-win season in program history is still on the table. So we are, I mean, Angie, it's no stretch to say we are potentially witnessing history watching this football season unfold. And the way Oregon State continues to play down the stretch, we could be watching one of the greatest Oregon State football teams of all time. Yes, I I, and and I think with with a little asterisk there that I think a lot of people need to take a quick step back to and be like, 
Look where they came from. Look at yeah. look at where this team was three years ago, four years ago. I, I I can't stress that enough. I mean, I have not been around such a broken program when Jonathan Smith took over. And to see them now on the cusp of one of the better seasons in the entire program history is huge. And I, I mean, we'll, we're going to dive in here to ASU, uh, the ASU game, but even doing so with so many reserves, I, I was really impressed with what we saw. A little reminiscent, I, I think, of that quick turnaround at the beginning of the century, no? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, just the fact that it has only taken three, four, five years, depending on if you count that 2022 or that 2020 season. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State has won more and more games on an annual basis if you throw out 2020, which I, I think pretty much everybody in this industry does at this point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that continued upward trajectory the sky, it still feels like the sky's the limit. Um, it does. I Oregon and State is going to lose a lot of talent and experience, but there's really nothing preventing Oregon State from continuing to build upon this. Well, I mean, don't you? I mean, you look at the, the guys that com- committed last year. There's some some stars there, I think, in the making um, that maybe have been playing little special teams and, and being more scout team. Um, I think of um, Donaldson. Um, I think of Melvin, Melvin Jordan. Jordan. Um, there's, there's some guys that we're already seeing guys like, you know, Martinez yeah. and um, Dylan Lopez will be a Dylan Lopez will be year. one. Um, Jack Velling. So Quincy I mean, right. Quincy, right. Yes. detackled Quincy, right. So I, there's a, there's a lot of guys there that I'm really kind of excited to see. I'm also excited to see more of the emergence of an Easton Mascarenas Arnold and yeah. Skylar Thomas and, and some of those younger guys. Um, but then you look at the guys that are expected to sign in December and that's another whole level of, of talent that, you know, you look at Kelsey Howard or Adrian, Aiden Childs, and um, there's some really strong guys there too. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it just seems like what Oregon State is building is is so special. Now, now you got to keep those guys in play. You got to, um, you know, keep guys on the roster, and that's where NIL is going to come into play. Um, but I also think that the culture in Corvallis is so good. I don't think we see guys just bolting for more money. No. I'm glad you called it like it is there too. And I, mean, I mean, that's baby. what it is. Yeah. And I, I'm, and, but okay. But then this, I was, I was going to bring this up later, but I think this is going to be a big, important part too, okay. is Trent Bray. Yeah. What that turnaround in one year with basically the exact same talent. Um, this, Trent Bray is going to have a lot of suitors coming after him, offering him a lot of money for a lateral move. Now I, I know he wants to be a head coach someday and you cannot begrudge him that he was a finalist for that Montana state job. But this is where Jonathan Smith, Scott Barnes, they need to let, go ahead and, and, you know, get him up to the eight, 900,000. I, I know that sounds crazy, but that's, that's where we're at in this world. I would love to see this defense under Trent Bay for like two or three more years and just see what he can do. Yeah. We'll see if he's a semifinalist for the uh, Broyles award, I believe on Monday or Tuesday. I, I think it's Tuesday that the semifinalists are announced and then the finalists on the 29th, okay. if I remember correctly. Um, but he is on the short list of about 50 coaches currently as a nominee. Uh, back to Saturday, Oregon State snapped a streak of road struggles as well, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, holding the Sun Devils to seven points. Um, Angie, good to see the Beavers kind of get off the schneid there on the road, right? Because, I mean, even, even some of the wins Oregon State has had away from Reeser this year, you go back to that Stanford, Stanford game, game. Uh, against a team that looks like one of the worst in, in power five, you know, needing a miracle to win that. 
kind of a trend, uh, losing it at, at UW as well. You know, the Beavers just, again, we, we talk about this every week, but they have played so much better at home than on the road. But this week, they really bucked that. But I, I think that is, and this is something Eric kind of preaches all the time, is just how hard it is to get those road wins. I mean, I look yeah. at Utah. Utah did not look like the Utah that we've seen in, in Rice-Eccles against the Ducks. I mean, that I, I, we saw um, struggles all across the board for them. I mean, we, you look at, I mean, Tennessee struggling at South Carolina. It's just really, really, really hard to win on the road in Power 5 football. So, um, yes, to snap that streak, to, to actually, you know, pull out some wins, um, it's big and it's big for confidence that these guys are going to start building the confidence that, yeah, we like playing at home, but we can win on the road too. And I think it still, you know, gives Oregon state a shot to play for something a little bit better than the sun bowl in the postseason too, particularly as much as Oregon state fans might hate to admit it with Oregon beating Utah helps the PAC 12's case to potentially get two teams in the new year six and, and potentially get one in the playoff with USC and, and maybe one in the Rose bowl with, with Oregon, Washington's still up there knocking on the top 12. So not out of the equation for the PAC 12 to get one, two, potentially even three teams into the new year six, which would do nothing but elevate Oregon state to the Las Vegas bowl, the holiday bowl. Um, that will all sort itself out over the next couple of weeks. Of course, as that top 12 falls into place. All right, we have to shift to, I guess, something that's maybe not so glamorous uh, with the injury tracker here. Again, it continues to be the story of the final third of the season for Oregon State uh, with so many guys going down and, and missing action. Let's run through the list of guys who did not suit up on Saturday. So that includes Jack Coletto, the, uh, the hammer, Anthony Gould at receiver and punt returner, Jaden Grant and Alex Austin in the defensive backfield, Deshaun Fenwick at running back, and Tyler Morano on the offensive line. None of those guys played. Some of them were on the sidelines, and I yeah. believe some of them stayed back in Corvallis. Uh, Jam Griffin returned from his injury that uh, held him out of the second half against California, but then he left again with another injury and was standing on the sideline with a boot. Um, so he will likely be questionable on Saturday. Rajon Wright, also in the defensive backfield, left the game briefly. Nothing serious at all. Looked like he got his hand wrapped up or something in the locker room. Um, some people were even speculating that it was just a little bathroom break. Uh, but <laughs> it it was reported on the radio broadcast that he had his hand looked at, and it looked like he had it wrapped up uh, when he got back onto the field. So he, uh, he finished the game and, and you know, by all assumptions, will be good to go this week. But still, a, a lengthy list of guys yeah. who were still holdouts after leaving that game against California. Yeah, and then like in our notes, Malik Kelly looked to be a very serious knee injury. Yeah. You saw the replay on that; it, it hyperextended backward. That looked that that looks like you know something major. Uh, yeah, Joel Gold- I mean, not to not to speculate or anything. Yeah, but that looks like you know one of those ligament tear type injuries. And uh, of yeah. course, Malik Kelly being a walk on and and one of those reserve guys wasn't you know it's not like he's a a starting caliber player or anything but um you know one of those guys who i think makes a big impact on on scout team we always see him in practice as a a second or third team guy uh to special teams was big but yeah that that injury list is is big and and i know we're not going to get any kind of clarification i I have a feeling that tomorrow 
when Coach Smith meets the media, it's going to be very data. We're going to get day to day on all of those guys. Unless, um, hey, you know what? We should get Chris Hudson to make a trip to Corvallis <laughs> in the middle of the week, and, and maybe he can give us some insight, insight on some of these yeah, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think it's. Um, I I expect that we get nothing this week. We are not going to know anything for either side. Um, yeah, it's going to be a. a Coletto was on the sideline. I did see him. He wasn't suited. Yeah, Kelly. Uh, Kelly was playing fullback for Coletto. Um, Anthony Gould. I, I mean, I look at this guys, and I, I do. I think Jaden Grant. I mean, they all. I mean, you like them all healthy, but. And I think there could be an element of, you know, like Oregon State was not overlooking Arizona State. I'll, I'll say no. that, but no. there is always an element of all right, this game's not as big, you know, yeah. we should be able to win without some of our key guys type of thing going on yeah. in the, in the, in the coaches offices. And maybe you get somebody who's on the fence to hold out and get them back to, right. if not, yeah. you know, close to a hundred percent for a much bigger game. I think that could be part of, part of this, I, I, especially with concerned. a guy like Jack Coletto who yeah. even made the trip. Yeah. And Jack, uh, um, Anthony Gould and Tyler Moreno, though, that those kind of concern me because those injuries happened during the week of practice. And I did hear with about Moreno was a, a leg injury. So, okay. um, yeah, it's and then, yeah, Jam Griffin. Although, OK, Carter, I sent you this. This is totally going off topic. But Jam Griffin, <laughs> did you see the bus going. ride home <laughs> or the bus ride after the game? And yeah. I don't know if you've seen the TikTok, TikTok video of um, the Vikings quarterback. Help me out. Cousins, Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins, where he's like on the plane and he's like dripping in all their, their necklaces. Well, dude, they had Ben Goldbranson without a shirt on in all the guy's jewelry, including a big diamond crested necklace that said Griffin. And he was dancing and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. That's just pop tier stuff. Really? I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, go find it. Yes. I believe it was on Jim Griffin's Instagram. Oh, there's um, a bunch, I, a bunch of guys. If, had if I had this. Yeah, if if I had handles off the top of my head, I'd I'd throw them up here on the screen, on yeah. YouTube. But I uh, I unfortunately don't. But easy enough to go find it. Anyway, it's, sorry. So Jim Griffin, it's, it's no matter what what's going on with his his boot and everything else, he was still very in very good spirits on that bus ride home. Let's move into the stat book here, Angie, and and look at the way Oregon State kind of dismantled Arizona State on Saturday. So. Of course, final score being 31 to 7. Uh, it was about that lopsided in the yardage numbers as well, with Oregon State racking up 443 yards of total offense and holding, again, a, another opponent under 300 yards at yeah. 276. That's back-to-back weeks now of, uh, of, of sub-300-yard play for an opponent. And, uh, and, and really, it was, it was multifaceted. You know, Arizona State didn't rack up a whole lot of yardage on the ground. Uh, 154 for the Sun Devils, but 122 through the air is pretty impressive, especially when you've got so many injuries in your defensive backfield. But let's look at the rushing numbers first. Yeah. With Oregon State outgaining Arizona State 222 to 154 on the ground, led by Damian Martinez. Stud. He's just a stud. Um, I, I did see an interview with Easton Mascarenas Arnold. He wasn't happy that they gave up those 154 yards rushing. He said that they can do better. They had a couple breakdowns, but 222. I, and I just want to point out how balanced. So I know we're going to talk about pass, but Oregon State rushed for 222 and passed for 221. Yeah. Um, that's about as balanced as you're going to get. Um, 
for, for a stat line. So um, Damian Martinez, you guys know what I think of Damian Martinez. I've said it since the spring. So um, what got me though, is I actually said this summer, and I remember it was my bold, cause I usually don't go bold very often, but I said, could be the best freshman running back since quiz. Well, now he might be the best freshman running back since Steven Jackson, because he is now the, it's the fifth straight game that he's had a hundred yards rushing, hit the hundred yard mark. And that's, First time since Stephen Jackson did as a freshman. Yep, back in 2003 when he did it six times in a row. Damian Martinez quickly, I and I said this in the, the top performers feature, yeah. which will go live at Beaver Blitz as soon as we uh, finish recording here. I called him a freshman phenom, and I, I know that he's only really been the featured back for about five, six games now, but uh, I, I, I would consider his play phenomenal. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I think he is. It, you know, it, Jaquiz Rogers had the season-long numbers, yeah. and and when we look back at 2022 for Martinez, he won't uh, because it did take him a few weeks, you know, a little over a month to get into that role. But on a per-game basis, what Martinez is doing is as good, if not better, than what Jaquiz Rogers did as a true freshman back in 08. Okay, so, but let me let me throw this one at you. How Were you surprised? Ben Goldbranson had nine carries for 36 yeah. <laughs> yards. Did that, I mean, so, we, we knew that Ben could move and he's not a statue, but were you surprised at all that they unleashed that a little bit? Cam I'll tell you Newton. what, PM <laughs> in the chat is in fact surprised. When did Ben Goldbranson turn into Cam Newton? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty remarkable actually to see what he did with his legs. And Angie, you and I can both attest yeah. to what he did in camp. Uh, both I remember you and I sitting by each other and we were like, okay, we knew he wasn't a statue, but we didn't know he could move that much. Now he's not, yeah. he's not like, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to confuse him with a dual threat guy. But uh, do you think we see more this week against Oregon? We see him move a little bit more. It's possible. I mean, I don't think they're going to dial up any read options, but they, <laughs> they dialed up a, a quarterback draw that went 11 yards yeah. for a touchdown. So, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest highlight plays of this game was, just kind of seeing Uncle Branson <laughs> barrel through there and, and make a guy miss and getting some good blocks. Uh, nine for 36, and that's actually 47 sack adjusted yards too. So you take the yeah. 11 out for the two sacks he took, and he's he's close to 50 yards there on the ground. A lot of that, I, I will admit, was kind of just taking what the defense was giving him. Uh, you know, plays where ASU was actually covering pretty well downfield. Yeah. A little bit of a reflection, I think, on Oregon State's receivers not being able to get open. We'll touch on the receiving stats in a minute. But ASU, I, I think, again, not necessarily, you know, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of respect out there for what Gilbertson does with his legs, as there probably shouldn't be because he hasn't really put it on film yet. Um, but he took advantage of what the defense gave him and, and consistently was picking up like seven to 10 yards on some of those rollouts and scrambles. So, was that, did you think that was Ben's best game yet? Oh, easily. Yeah. yeah. He uh, he has improved week over week. Yeah. Save for maybe UW. Um, I, I think that game may be a slight step back from Colorado, but really over the last probably four to five games, I think we've come on here and said, oh, that was Ben's best game yet. Yeah. You know, Ben looked as good as he's ever looked. And, and I don't, I, I, I still I, don't I think, think that he continues has, this week. He's not the elite. He's not an elite quarterback yet. But um, I was, you know, a couple weeks ago, I said, yeah. Oregon State is as one good quarterback away from kind of making that next step. And I will say Ben's becoming credit, that, I think. Yeah, he he is his pocket presence is getting way, he's getting way more savvy in the pocket. Um, yeah, I, I think he looks just more comfortable out there. 
for Arizona State, X Valade took 13 carries for 109 yards and a touchdown and was incredibly efficient at 8.4 yards yeah. per carry. Uh, but he, again, like Jade Knott last week, got kind of game scripted into a smaller workload. And so I think Oregon State's run defense looked a little bit better in the, the final box than it did as the game was actually progressing. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, game I, th- I think scripted. they got, I think they got, they, they got saved a little bit there by the scoreboard. I'm just thinking about Chris, Chris Hudson again, about being his, his fall, his <laughs> fake injury was game script. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Um, the, the subtle digs I'm sure will, will sleep, will seep through here as we, uh, as we are officially now in, uh, in, in rivalry mode here on, on the Sunday, six days away, six yep, days away. Six days. All right. In the passing game. So speaking of Bengal Branson, what stood out the most to me about his passing performance was the start he got off to. Yes, so you look at yes. the final line, he was 15 of 21. Well, he completed 15 of his first 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually that started with, I, I, I don't have the, uh, the, the consecutive, the consecutive completions to start the game, but I believe it was about seven or eight in a row before yeah. he threw his first incompletion. Uh, that's a 71% completion rate for the day. 188 yards and a touchdown with no picks again, kind of game managery in the passing game. Uh, but when you look at the the whole body of work for Ben, I, I think it does come back to being his best start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, his career. I mean, that, you look at that and it's not going to blow you away the stats, but it was very workmanlike. He very, um, took care of the ball. Um, I love, and, and credit to, to um, Brian Lindgren because that, okay. The first drive that Oregon state did, money it was almost like he's been reading that's what she said i mean we saw fly motion we saw small little dump off passes just getting the ball in the guy's hands in space i was and two of the biggest passing plays of the day actually exactly and then it kind of went quiet it was kind of like you know lindgren kind of took his little mid mid game nap but that third quarter again dialed up just beautiful play calls tristan jebbia came in for the, the final few minutes and went three for three. So mm-hmm. shout out to Tristan there uh, in the, in the receiving department, Oregon state spread out its catches across six different receivers. Five of them had multiple catches. Silas Bolden led with five for 54 yards and Jack Velling at the tight end spot had the lone touchdown through the air for the Beavers. Yeah. And then how about um, I was going to call out Ty John Lindsay because early in the game, he had a couple really clutch catches. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Noga as well. I want to highlight in the game flow section. uh, So we'll save that shout out for a few minutes. Trenton Bourget on the other side, Trenton Bourget. Sorry. I I swear ASU has the the most difficult names to pronounce in this conference this year. Trenton Bourget, uh, uh, 20 of 32 for 122 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Pretty impressive pass defense numbers for Oregon State. I think considering the fact that Jaden Grant and Alex Austin were unavailable uh, Skylar Thomas stepped in. Ryan Cooper moved to the outside. Uh, lots of guys stepping up there. And and mm-hmm. when you knew that Arizona State was going to be pass heavy when it got behind, to the Beavers' credit, they really shut things down on the back end there. They did, and and I I, I would say they did miss a, a little step without without Austin and Grant, but it wasn't horrible. Held Elijah Badger to four or uh, four receptions for sixteen yards. Yeah after Badger had been one of the top receivers in the Pac-12 in the span of the last couple of weeks. So uh, impressive to shut him down without really your top corner in Austin. Yeah. Uh, I thought Ray John Wright stepped up um, with, uh, with with one of his better, quietly one of his better yeah, games. Yeah, of the year. one of his better. And then how about the punter? Yeah. Let's talk punter yeah. because that punt by Luke, Let, is it Locher? Locher. 
Losher. Losher was a thing of beauty. Yeah, 55-yard bomb, and uh, Arizona State's returner couldn't handle it, fumbled it. Skyler Thomas picked it up at the Arizona State 11, and then Oregon State capitalized four plays later with a field goal. That's a lone turnover in this game, actually. Uh, So it comes on special teams, not on defense. But uh, impressive, impressive punt by Losher, the 55-yarder, and impressive by Skyler Thomas to not only lead Oregon State in tackles as a DB, but also to make that play on special teams. That guy was just getting it done in his first career start. Yeah, that was exciting. And like I said, what a bomb. And I know we don't talk special teams a lot, um, but a great day for him. And and he really is, I mean, a a very big asset for this team. It's first turnover-free game for Oregon State since Stanford on October 8th. So that's a month and a half uh, of play with Oregon State turning the ball over at least once per game. And, And usually it was just one turnover. Uh, but the Beavers have a, a clean game down in the desert. And on the flip side, it's their sixth straight game forcing a turnover. So the Beavers continuing to, to kind of flip the script that that haunted them for that two-week stretch against USC and Utah, uh, turning it over eight times in the span of two games. It's really been a non-issue, and the Beavers continue to take it away defensively, just giving them more opportunities on the other side of the ball. And I think that's been key in some of these wins. Um Anything you want to add about pass rush here? I, I've I've got some notes later on in the show, yeah, but just, an opportunity still, here. That that still is a, a big missed opportunity, I think, for for Oregon State. And I I know before the season there were so many people that were very high on Corey Stover, still not seeing seeing yeah. what what we need to see. So um, they're getting it done. The defense is getting it done, but that is one area that I really think needs to improve. Yeah, just one sack for Oregon State, and I think it was always going to be difficult against Borgay, who is one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12 at avoiding pressure. Yeah, um, but like on the 2. flip side, two seconds he gets yeah. the ball out like two point two seconds. Yeah, it was, it's about two exactly. Um, and and I, I thought one of the weaker games actually for Oregon State's offensive line going into the game, uh, averaging less than one sack per game and right around four tackles for a loss. They give up five tackles for loss and two sacks. I guess it makes a little bit of sense because you're playing with some reserves there and it wasn't like a terrible performance, but uh, five, five TFLs and two sacks isn't something we're really that used to seeing in Oregon state's ledger. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a bit of a surprise, but again, several reserves in there. So um, it'll, they'll be finding their getting their sea legs under them here soon. Yeah. And I actually thought Tanner Miller had a, a relatively good game. He, he set a, a very key block on that Bengal Branson, uh, a draw play for the touchdown. So Tanner Miller, the, the, the walk on there getting some action as a starter. Yeah. And so you guys all know Peter Riley Osborne. He is our resident offensive line guru. He was texting me throughout the game. Just like Tanner Miller is a stud. If he can put on like 10 more pounds, he's going to be like a beast. So um, when Peter gets excited about an offensive lineman, it's definitely one to watch. And Peter Riley Osborne's, expertise on the offensive line is one of the many gems you'll find at beaverblitz.com the place to be during oregon state's football season which while it is coming to an end very quickly here is still in full swing and this is one of those weeks where you do not want to miss a thing because we've got all sorts of great content leading up to oregon state and oregon the ranked battle at research stadium we're going to bring in some experts from duck territory the 24 7 sports site for oregon We've got a ton of preview content coming on our end as well. 
And Angie, we've got a big promo coming up at the end of the week with Thanksgiving Black Friday right around the corner. We do. And I look, I actually believe that is starting on Tuesday. So we are taping this Sunday night. Big, big promotion. It is the biggest promotion that we run of the year. 75% off an annual membership to Beaver, Beaver Blitz. It works out to like $26 for the year. No brainer. If you're not a member, watch for that. It's like I said, it's coming, I believe, Tuesday. So um, you'll definitely want to jump on that and tell your friends, family, make great Christmas gifts. Definitely something you want to look for. So we're not like actively telling you not to subscribe to Beaver Blitz here on Sunday or or tomorrow on Monday, but you know, you if, might want to wait if if you want that if you want that Paramount Plus subscription that comes with a full price subscription to Beaver Blitz, maybe you hop on now. But seriously, this deal that we've got for Black Friday and Cyber Monday is the best that you will find all year and you guys seriously so i know carter mentioned it on thursday but beaver blitz is one of the fastest growing sites on the 24 7 network so um it's it's huge so just the lodge just keeps growing the um the game thread on yesterday was so much fun um i think we're up to ten thousand views on that bad bad boy so um definitely make sure you jump on beaver blitz because it doesn't stop when the season's over so, and, and then you have bowl game and basketball, baseball, recruiting. It's a, kind of a year-round deal here for us. That growth is totally a testament to everyone who has joined us this football season. We're very proud to be one of the fastest growing sites on the network, and we hope you'll join us to help us keep climbing that leaderboard. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, let's move back into the action in Tempe. And it started with a three and out for Arizona State. The Beavers' defense uh, kind of imposing its will. And then Josiah Irish stood back to return the punt with Anthony Gould out. And I thought this was an area to watch because Josiah Irish and, and some of the other guys who have stepped up as the backup punt returner in years past have, have struggled a bit. We've seen, you know, that's where some of the muffed punts come from when somebody steps up. But Irish actually has a really good game in, in punt returns, uh, brought three of them out and averaged, I believe, right around 13 yards per return. So yeah. shout out to, to Irish for stepping in for Gould. And then Oregon State's first offensive possession, as Angie was discussing earlier, was was really just a masterpiece. I mean, a thing of beauty with Bengal Branson going five for five, 51 yards on the drive, had a 15-yard pass to Silas Bolden, an 18-yarder to Jack Velling, and then Damian Martinez caps it off with a five-yard touchdown. Uh, Angie felt like that was maybe a little too easy for yeah. Oregon State's offense. Yeah, right? I mean, it. I, I loved, I mean, I just loved the mix of plays. Like I said, we saw lots of fly, fly sweep motion. Um, it was, like you said, it was about as perfect as a, as a drive could go, and it almost went too easy. Yeah. Uh, Arizona State did actually uh, kind of counter with one of those drives as well, where it felt like the Sun Devils were moving it a little bit more easily than you'd like to see. If you're the OSU defense, 
then it stalls kind of right on the yeah. they're on the edge of the 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 red zone or, or got right into it and they miss a, a 29 yard field goal off the right upright which kind of became somewhat of a theme throughout this game it was to the kicker's credit it was a windy day in arizona all right it was you know about 10 mile an hour sustained winds and it, it can get gusty down there in the desert sometimes um but it felt a little demoralizing for Arizona State to come up without points on the drive where it had converted twice on third down. It converted a fourth down and, and felt like the Sun Devils uh, were kind of finding something on offense there. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a, a theme for the day as we watched. I, you know, like I said earlier in the show, I watched the USC-UCLA game. We saw a couple missed kicks there. We watched a, or Utah miss a couple kicks. Um, it's kind of, it was kind of a trend. I don't know what was going on with kickers, but, but at um, the same time, then you had the game winning kick exactly in, in, exactly. Uh, in, in Waco with TCU and then the game winning kick at Michigan too. So yeah, I don't know. Kicking is, <laughs> kicking is, is Kick, it's weird. It's, kicking it's is a adventure. weird thing. Um, and Oregon State had its struggles too. And yeah. I think we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, Everett Hayes' struggle. Yeah. But... In fact, on the, the very next drive, Everett Hayes goes sw- uh, slightly wide, right from 44. It, it looked like it was going to miss by a bunch and then it kind of curled back towards the upright, but no good nonetheless. And, and the Beavers actually could have had seven points on that drive again. Silas Bolden making oh, that catch was... just an oh, absolutely ridiculous yeah. catch. Um, and it was just out of bounds, just, just slightly out of bounds in the end zone would have been probably one of the the biggest highlight touchdowns yeah, yeah. of the season for Oregon State. That drive stalled at the 26 and then the the 44 yarder was no good. A uh, couple of drives that that didn't really do much then in the middle of the the second quarter, but at the end of the quarter and and at the end of the half, we saw both teams really pick things up offensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was really the third quarter that thing. Well, I I guess second quarter was Velling session, wasn't it? Yeah, and and before that, so Arizona State actually tied it uh, with right. a minute fifty three left in the in the half. Ex Valade ran it in from eleven yards, um, but to set that up, Valade had that thirty nine yard breakaway run, which actually ended up accounting for almost half of Arizona State's right. rushing That's yardage. Right. Yeah, um, or I, I guess about a quarter of it, but but nonetheless, a, a big play for Valade, who is the active career leading rusher uh, in in college football. So you knew that he was going to get his numbers and, and he was going to get his touches. Uh, but that 11 yard rushing touchdown was the only points that Arizona state would manage. But how about the response, Angie, for Oregon state to go 53 seconds down the field and to find Jack Velling on really, a, it was, you know, either busted coverage or, or just a really, he great was just wide design. open. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was um, such a great answer because Oregon state had kind of been, I don't want to say dominating, but again, it didn't feel like it was going to be close, even though the score was tied. And for them to answer, boom, it was it was beautiful. And like I said, Felling was like no one around him. Yeah, there were a lot of possessions at the end of that half, and and ASU actually had time with fifty three or uh, with with exactly a minute left to turn yeah. it over on downs, and then Oregon State got the ball back with two timeouts. Branson takes a sack and, and Oregon State lets the clock expire. But were being, you disappointed with that? Because I yeah, was. So, so I was going to ask you because Oregon State was on about its own 40. Yeah. Felt like, you know, you probably need 30 to 40 yards to get into field goal range, but that's pretty doable with 26 seconds and two timeouts. Yeah. I, I was really disappointed um, with just the way that, you know, for Jonathan Smith, who can be kind of a gambler and, and really want to take advantage of, I mean, that was a chance to really. Right before half, you go up 21 to seven, 
I mean, that yeah. would have been huge. And I mean, of course, Ben Gilbranson takes the does the one thing he really couldn't do in that position, but they still, I mean, no time. I mean, it was just kind of a, a letdown, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. But I guess on, on the flip side, you know, you don't want anything disastrous to happen and, and ASU to tie things back up, but it did have the feeling of an opportunity for Oregon yeah. state. And, and even with the sack, you know, you've got two timeouts, you have a chance yeah. to keep moving to, to keep things moving. Uh, and, and you choose not to, but in the end, didn't matter didn't at matter. that point, Oregon yeah. state had already scored all of the points it needed to, uh, by the time that the teams went into the locker room and then they padded the lead very early after coming yeah. out of the locker room with Damian Martinez's second touchdown of the game. This one, a 12 yarder. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think to go 83 yards on your first possession of the second half was, was kind of a crushing blow to Arizona state considering at that point, it's a multi-score game. They got a lot of work to yeah. do. Yeah. I, I just love that drive, especially highlighted just how good Martinez is even with contact. I mean, just yeah. the, the ability to take a hit and either bounce off or drag guys with him. Unreal. And on that touchdown too, I, you know, he wasn't necessarily contacted a ton, but you saw his elusiveness and, yeah. and his yeah. vision. Uh, he was kind of weaving through defenders there for 12 yards. It, it was an impressive run. And yeah. one of the knocks that that we had or that, you know, that, that we um, highlighted against Martinez as he was working his way up to the RB1 role throughout the season, um, particularly in those first three, four games, was it felt like he didn't have that um, that strength and that yeah. vision at the point of attack where you know, he would maybe miss a cut or yeah. uh, he would have a lane that the O-line opened up for him and he wouldn't take it or he would get hit and wouldn't fight through it. And yeah. we said, all right, that's not the Martinez we saw in camp. Well, Martinez we saw in camp was uh, was the guy who has looked very much like yeah. the one we've seen yeah. over the last two months. Um, so I, I feel like we've seen progress there. Yes, absolute progress. And I think that's maybe why it took him a little bit longer to to earn that RB1 role. Um, the next next drive, ASU turned over on downs. So she second got time. the second time. Um, and then that led to Goldbranson's big run. Yeah, and and going back to that run, so JRU won in the in the YouTube chat asked if it was Jake Levengood with the key block on that play. And actually, now that I think of it, I, I think you're right. Um it came from the center position, and I always think of as Tanner Miller. Uh, I always think of Tanner yeah. Miller as a center because you and I, Angie, we always see him see playing him. that position yeah. in practice. I mean, he's been the second team center, center. for the last three years now in, in camp. So um, it came from the center position. That's why I said Miller, but we do have to give Jake Levengood his credit because he made the play there that got Goldbranson into the end zone on an eight-yard quarterback draw for somebody who really by nature is a, a pocket passer. I thought that was excellent play design and yeah. play calling by, by Brian Lindgren to notice that, Hey, this guy's got the hot hand. Let's just let him run it. See what happens. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving to the fourth quarter uh, again, Arizona state was, was just doing nothing with nothing. the ball in the second half. And I think at, at that point, the sun devils had gotten really one dimensional. And that's when we saw Oregon state pull away from Cal as well as, is when, you know, you know that opponent is going to pass the yeah. ball. They don't have the ability to take the time to give it to their star running back and yeah. validate. And again, 
with Oregon State having injuries in the in the secondary and going up against a team that has Jalen Conyers at tight end who has really stepped up recently and Elijah Badger at receiver who's been one of the more electric guys at that position in the conference over the last month. I thought it was pretty impressive that again Oregon State forces Arizona State to punt. Uh, and then Irish with with one of his nice returns for 13 yards to open the fourth. Um, and then on the flip side, so Oregon State has to punt, and and that's where the turnover came. Yeah. Let's highlight that play again because Skylar Thomas, he, he deserves oh, all the credit in the world for stepping up the way he did in his first career start, picking up that fumble. He, and, he, and he led the team in tackles too. So, no, huge game for him. But, yeah, just the, to be that aware and, and to, to hustle down the field. I mean, ASU's return guy had a turn he was he turned kind of sideways because the the punt was boomed over his head um yeah just great great discipline by uh, Skylar Thomas in that play so uh, the Oregon State gets the ball at Arizona State's 11 and it felt like one of those opportunities to you know to, to really put the game on ice with yeah. a touchdown uh, they do have to settle for a 26 yard field goal with which which Hayes made with 938 left in the game Makes it 31 to seven. That's the final score. Um, but one more play to highlight at, at the end of this thing, or actually a, a couple, because I, I want to give Jeremiah Noga his his shout out. Um, Everett Hayes missed a 23 yard field goal off the left upright uh, after a 13 play, eight minute and 12 drive, in which Jeremiah Noga made one of the best catches of the season. And, and for a walk on who's, you know, waiting for his opportunity and who's been here for a couple of years, came in with, with Sam Vidlack. From Hidden Valley, um, and and to to stick it out, I think, and to to continue to wait for his opportunity. Angie, you and I have seen him make some plays in practice. Yeah. He ends this game with two catches, and one of them was again, like I said, that one-handed over-the-shoulder type catch for yeah. a big fourth-down conversion, I believe. Correct or yeah, uh, third? It was. It was third I think or it was fourth? Third or fourth? Yeah. Um, one of one of the best plays by a walk-on this year, actually. Yeah, in, in my was... opinion. It was huge. And I think that might've been the play that Malik Kelly got hurt too. Um, that huge. one was later on. Okay. His nickname is oh, Supernova. So he's bright. He shines bright. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, no, it was, it was good. It was good to see. I, I do like seeing these guys, the reserves be able to get in the past couple games just because they do work so hard um, and really uh, kind of get a chance. Okay. So let's talk about that, that 23 yard field goal though, which was Oregon state's final play from scrimmage. Um, your thoughts on the state of Oregon state special teams, particularly when it comes to field goals. Yeah. Um, like I said, here you have Hayes, who is probably one of the best, the more talented kickers in the conference is I just don't kicking is one of those things. So much of it is mental. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like putting to me. It's you get the yips and you kind of have to, so I don't know what, I don't know what you need to do. I don't know if you need to go watch a little tin cup or, or what you got to do <laughs> because it, it's just, it's, it's a mental thing because these are easy chip shots for him. And, and that I think has been one of the stories of Hayes career where you can rewind last year to the game at Colorado where he hits yeah. just an absolutely remarkable 60 yeah. yarder, one of the longest or the longest field goal in Oregon state history. One of the longest we've seen at the college football level, frankly, in quite mm -hmm. some time to send that game to overtime in a clutch spot. He's got the leg power. We know that I've seen him make 60 to 65 yeah. yarders in practice before too. 
but it feels like it's it's that 30 to 40 range that for whatever reason very rarely do we see him miss a 23 yarder and yeah and i'm curious if if that was either a confidence thing or if the wind did kind of just whip, yeah. whip up a little yeah. bit on that one um, i'm willing to give him a pass on that but it, I, on the broadcast i believe they said he's one for six on kicks of 40 yards or more this season which yeah you know as a college kicker i get it but it's still not going to get the job done because those no. are three points that oregon state's going to need to have in, in all of these close games that it's played yeah i mean especially when you consider that oregon state you know yeah they've, they've been in some close games and those those points matter so like i said i don't know i, I don't know what the issue is i don't know if it's still his leg i think his leg his groin's all healed um i, I think a lot of times kickers are like i said they almost get in their own head and that's it, it's kind of getting past that mental break is is what's gonna get him over the hump maybe he needs to sit down and and chat with um cerna a little bit i'm gonna use this as kind of a segue into our section where we talk about some of the things that Oregon state didn't do particularly well, some of the, the yes. areas of struggle uh, and, and number one for me was the kicking game. Yeah. Just yeah. A, a couple of missed field goals that it, again, in a game against Oregon next week or going back to, to USC and, and, uh, Washington. and, and Washington, you know, those are three points you're going to need. Uh, in addition to that, yeah. I felt like at least on a per carry basis, Oregon state's run defense took a step backward and yeah, Again, this comes down to you're playing against arguably, well, I mean, w- without a doubt, that the most productive running back in college football. Um, I, I don't know if, if talent-wise we're talking about one of those high-end guys, but somebody who has the production to his name. And you're on the road where Oregon State hasn't played very well defensively. Um, curious how much of it is 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 due to that and how much is, is due to something else, but I felt like Oregon state's run defense. While the end of game number might not look terrible watching it in real time. Oregon state's run defense. Wasn't that good today. Or it wasn't that good. And it, and what also another point that I kind of noted in my notes was third and fourth down defense. Yep. Um, that's, that's kind of where they picked up their big chunks and it, it's two weeks in a row because we saw, um, was it, was it Cal that they gave up some big runs? No, because they only no. gave up nine total they yards. Nine the game yards. Before, yeah, so it must have been the game before that or Washington. Washington. It was Washington um, that we saw the third and fourth down defense really, really struggle. Yeah, they and, need and to like close those out. So again, one of those situations where the end of game numbers look better. Uh, Arizona State, if I remember correctly, converted on about 35% of its third yeah. downs and two of four on fourth. But it was early but, on, but it was yeah. early on the ASU it, when this game was still a game, yeah. um, you know, and, and ASU wasn't one, yeah. one dimensional and whatnot. That's where those struggles came from. And I completely agree. I put that in my notes as well. Yeah, I, I made note of that. And it's not it wasn't as bad as Washington, because I think at Washington, it was a 61 percent clip that they were allowing third down conversions. Um, but that those are a couple you know, the Rundy. And uh, tightening down the third and fourth down defense is really going to be something that, especially going into Oregon and a bowl game, they really need to tighten that up. Pass rush as well. Uh, Oregon leads the nation in sacks allowed. That offensive line is is one of the most three? groups I have seen. Uh, it it's, it's either two or three. Two or yeah. three, yeah. So, um, um, and, and Oregon State only gets one against ASU, which, yeah. again, Trent Morgay one of the absolute best in the Pac-12 at getting the ball out quickly. But still, 
Easton Mascarenas Arnold again had a, a huge sack though, a seven yard loss on a third yeah. down play. So, so shout out to him there. But overall, you know, you get the five quarterback hurries, but that means nothing if if he's completing yeah. the pass or if he's picking up yards uh, with his legs. You you have to get home on some yeah. of these guys, and, and Oregon State just continues to come up short time and time again. And that was with John McCartan back down. this week. I, I thought we might, I might, we might see a little bit more um, pass rush. Um, you want to talk keys to the game? Let's let's actually, uh, let, you know, let's shine a light on a couple of things the that good? went well okay. for Oregon State too, just so that we're not like completely trashing them here. <laughs> um, we've talked about Ben's rushing ability. Yeah, I, I thought that was probably my biggest takeaway from the game. Actually, was just that he's looking more and more like a dual threat guy yeah. week by week. Um, but defensively, for as much as the pass rush was, again, just not very good, um, and for as much of a step back that I thought the run game took, or the, the run defense took, Beavers allowed seven points on yeah. the road. So, you know, they're getting it yeah. done one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, on, you look at the last two weeks, that's ten points the Oregon State yeah. defense has allowed over the last two games. Five points per game Same. over a yeah. two-week stretch yeah. for the Oregon yeah. State defense is absolutely remarkable it is completely unreal so um i agree i think sometimes it's easy to maybe dwell on some of the things that aren't going well but um at the end of the day they're getting it done but two other things i want to get a lot harder yeah two other things i want to highlight and we'll move quickly here at the end of the show uh sustained drives offensively oregon state Mm -hmm. had four drives of nine plus plays yes uh three of them went for at least 10 one of them as i said i believe went for yeah 13 uh and then they scored twice on four play drives so really when they weren't moving the ball and stringing plays together it's because they were scoring very quickly so um credit to to oregon state's offense for stringing things together because going into game going into the game one of my concerns again was inconsistency in the yes. passing game, especially on third downs, you know, not being able to move the chains really took care of business there. Absolutely. And on the road, like we talked about, it's, it's just hard to win on the road. Um, and I looking at that and being able to sustain drives is going to be crucial as we get, I know. I <laughs> <laughs> So look at this, look at this comment from Eric F. Ben runs like an angry baby deer, effectively awkward. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Comment of the year, potentially. Yeah, that, that is pretty that. good. An angry baby deer. <laughs> effectively awkward. Um, I like to think of my podcasting ability as effectively awkward. <laughs> yeah, I'm using that. I'm using that. Thank you, Eric. Thank, thank you for, for that gem. Uh, one more thing to highlight before we touch on keys to the game and get out of here. Oregon State's just general ability to take care of business this year yeah. has has been something that, uh, frankly, we haven't really seen from an Oregon State team in, in quite some time. The Beavers have now beaten every team that Vegas has projected them to beat. Yes. You know, when you look at the lines, uh, anytime Oregon State's a favorite, they've gotten it done. And really, they've done it in, in conv- convincing fashion more often than not, particularly in these last two games against California yeah. and Arizona State. But uh, teams past, there have been those letdown games, and... We're sitting here in, in week 13 now. Oregon State doesn't have a single letdown game to its name. It's only losses yeah. now are to teams that are in the top 15. A really impressive resume. And, and, and when you got look an at opportunity that, for a quality win this coming weekend. Yeah, a quality win this weekend. And when you look, you know, I, I, I guess I dwell on this too much, but two of those games against Washington and USC were by a combined six points that they lost. Yeah. It just, 
it, it kind of hurts, but it just shows you just how close they are. We're going to come back and review the season in a couple of weeks or, you know, yes. a month after the bowl game. And I think we're going to come away really impressed with what we see in these, some yeah. of these season long numbers, uh, particularly with regards to that resume. I mean, yeah. o- Oregon state just, it, it hasn't gotten that quality win, you know, and yeah. it doesn't have an upset win like it normally does, but never before have I seen an Oregon state team beat up on the teams it's yeah, supposed, supposed to be, to be that, like yeah. it has this year. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get out of here with our keys to the game revisitation. So okay. uh, Angie, you started things off on the offensive side saying that Oregon state needed to establish the passing attack because ASU would stack the box. When you look back at what you said Oregon state needed to do in that regard, how do you feel about it? I feel good. I, I love that we saw, um, you know, Oregon State doesn't need to go deep downfield every time, but they were effective in using the kind of the short, short slants, screens, um, getting those chunk plays and stringing things together. It, it was super effective and um, it was getting the ball into playmakers' hands in space. My and key you, offensively was, yeah. uh, again, you know, we kind of had contrasting keys this yes, week. Mine we was to impose, uh, for, for the Beavers to impose their will in the running game, sustain drives. Uh, via the ground game and, and score with that rushing attack. And uh, I, I think, I think that's a resounding yes. Yeah. You know, to run for two twenty two um, for, for Damian Martinez, again, to cross that century mark, averaging 5.3 yards per carry, pretty solid mark for, yeah. uh, for the Oregon state offense. And, and the Testament again, to the work that that line does in opening up some lanes. Um, but again, just a, another shout out to, to, and Goldbranson for adding what he did there. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so to the point about scoring via the ground attack, totally three of the four touchdowns oh, exactly, came on yeah. the ground. Um, and then they sustained drives as, as well with that improved passing game anyway. So my point on that was, was kind of moot, but. Um, it was very balanced and that's, you know, coach Riley always preached about a balanced attack. And so um, this was, like I said, 222 to 221 run to pass yards. About as balanced as you're going to get. Let's flip to the defensive side, Angie. Yeah, um, I wanted to see more pressure on Borgay, and I know it was going to be hard um, just because he does get that ball out so quickly. Um, but I just, I still haven't seen enough from the pass rush, and I wanted to see them do better. Not great. I would, I would say that was a fail. Um, just one, one sack. Um, yeah, not, you not know what? Impressive. So I'll counter with this. They pressured him. They blitzed him. You yeah. know, they sent the house a couple of times, but they just didn't get home. And, yeah. um, you know, they Oregon State did get into the backfield quite a bit. But even then, you know, not every time they were credited with a quarterback hurry because he is so good at getting it out quickly. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I, I agree that they came up short in, in yeah. that regard. And and you you nailed yours. Um, yours yeah. was to lock down the wide receivers downfield. Totally did that. I, I thought even with, again, some of those injuries in the defensive backfield, only four passing plays of at least 10 yards for ASU. And the longest went for 21. Um, that is the definition of locking things down yeah, downfield yeah. when you're not giving up more than 10 to 15 yards yeah. very often. Uh, three pass breakups on 32 pass attempts, too, is is not an incredible ratio. Yeah. But Again, Oregon State is leading the Pac-12 in that uh, in that category and remains one of the best in the country at getting into the passing lanes and knocking the thing down. And I think also too, you didn't see the coverage sacks that you you might normally see when you have a front seven that can get home. 
Um, but the Beavers did force Trenton Borgay to scramble a couple of times as well, and that comes back to the secondary too. So resounding yes on, on locking down the receivers downfield. Anything to add, Angie, before we call it quits on no. this Sunday? I'm just, I mean, Carter, eight and three. One more game to go, or two more games to go. They can still hit my 10 win mark. I might have internally called you a little crazy when you predicted that yeah. at the beginning of the year, but with with two <laughs> games left this year, uh, it's still on the table. And This has been my best year in all phases of between Martinez, between the defense being good. My, all my predictions are coming true, so my best year yet. It's taken me a while to get there, but I'm on it. Angie looks like a genius. I try. They're, they're making her look smart out there. They are making me look smart. All right. I think that's going to do it here. We've, we've uh, talked enough Sun Devils, and we're getting ready to move on to Oregon State and Oregon. The rivalry it's uh it's it's you can feel it you can feel it after that after that game went final in eugene late saturday night uh you could feel the tides kind of turning and like all right it's go time yeah duck Um, fans don't think uh, oregon state is their rival though but um yeah and i i will still use the term civil war carter will not but um it is a big rivalry game and uh excited excited for this one i don't think we've had one that means this much yet in, yeah, in, you in know, I'll, I'll say this. Call it what you want. I mean, I, I have no problems with anyone calling it the Civil War. I, I still am in the boat that, uh, you know, that that changing this name was, you know, maybe less of a, a necessity than than it was made out to be. I, I think it gets a little political sometimes, so I'll, I'll tread lightly there. But again, you know, I my decision not to use the phrase civil war comes from the universities not recognizing the game as being called the civil war. And I want to maintain the, you know, the, um, I guess the integrity of, of upholding what the university wants. But if, if anyone ever puts it, but in Angie print, doesn't care. And Angie sees that former players are still calling it the civil right. war. So that's what Angie's going to do. And, and so. if anybody puts it into print, good on them. Like I, I respect, I respect you putting it out there because I want to see it come back. I want to see this game be called the civil war. I will say that I'm just not going to call it that until it's officially titled it. And, you know, unfortunately I don't think it ever will be. Um, I I don't see the universities readopting it, but maybe eventually we'll get to a point where that uh, it, it becomes a little bit more accepted again, but um it is the it is still the civil war in my heart. <laughs> so Eric, just be, Eric, just because you won't see it in writing with with you know me on the byline, it, it doesn't mean that I'm st- I'm not still calling it the civil war behind the scenes. Yes, and Carter doesn't get mad. Like I said, we don't want to turn it into a political battle. It's not. It's just yeah, just what it is. And um, it just is what it is. Yep. And and see, I guess I come from a place that it's civil war, meaning it's civil, like civility. You have ducks and beavers in the same house. and But like I said, we're not going to get into debate it. It is Civil War week, baby. And it's go time. Don't you forget it. I, if, <laughs> if, there are, if there are any houses divided out there watching this podcast, you know. If, Carter, if, if, I if love you're... Twitter. So <laughs> I, I mean, you guys, my audience is beaver fans. I mean, seriously, that's who I talk to, beaver fans. And it's funny, like I made a Twitter comment yesterday about the ugly Sun Devil Sun Devils uniforms, and I said they're right on par with Oregon's. And I had Duck fans coming out of the woodwork, and I'm thinking, dude, I'm not talking to you. Like, go away. 
I, I, you know what, I, I give you and, and everybody listening and everybody in this state of Oregon, my blessing to go and just, just dive into this rivalry. If, you know, <laughs> if, if you, if you're in a house divided, if, if you're your husband, your wife, your significant other, boyfriend, girlfriend, brother, sister, kids are affiliated with the university that you are not just go at it. Have some fun, you know. This I, is I love at the, the end of the day. This is what this week is all about. It's all I, about I do like Oregon State the rivalry players. And, and having fun with it. I, I think it was Kyrie Fisher. He doesn't even refer to them as the Ducks or Oregon. It's those guys, <laughs> those guys. So maybe and we'll that's just coming calling... from someone who didn't even grow up on this side of the Mississippi. So yeah, and Easton Mascarenas. I mean, those guys are excited. Like yeah. it's it's go time in Corvallis. Now I'm trying to think if Arkansas is west or east of the Mississippi River. Ooh, the geography skills are being tested here. He's from um, Oklahoma, though, originally. So that is... You're right. You're west. right. All right. But yeah, those well, guys. I'm just going to call I, them those guys. Back. He's not those from guys. Oregon. Those guys. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's going to be a fun week, isn't it, It Angie? is going to be a fun week. It is going to be And just week. another reason for, for everyone to head to Beaver Blitz throughout the week. Uh, we'll the be back conversations. What, Wednesday? Yeah, I, I, think I think officially for Wednesday. the podcast, we're going to come yeah. back on Wednesday. We'll we'll make that official at, at some point throughout the week and, and make sure everybody knows. But thank you to everyone who has joined us on this Sunday. And uh, and and stay tuned for, for what day we go live and, and record this thing because it won't be on Thursday. I can guarantee you that with Thursday being Thanksgiving. Um, even on Thanksgiving, we'll have some content up at Beaver Blitz. Okay. So if you need something to digest your food to, head over there conversation in the lodge is going to be absolutely great this week with it being such an important week in so very many ways. Angie, let's convene in the middle of the week to preview what is probably Oregon state's biggest game in a decade. How does that sound? Sounds great. I'm excited. Until then you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines and we'll talk to you most likely on Wednesday for another episode of the damn podcast. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.